Good morning, everyone. I am Naya Swami Maria, and this is Naya Swami Ananta. Today we have uh, a guest speaker. We have Gita Matlock, and she'll be giving the uh, inspirational uh, talk this morning. I'd like to begin with uh, a reading from The Rays of the One Light, and these are commentaries on the Bible and the Gita. Uh, <clears throat> This is written by Swami Kriyananda. <clears throat> Why tell God anything when he knows everything? Why offer God anything when he has everything? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ teaches as the ideal prayer, one that addresses very human demands to God. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus himself says, just before suggesting this prayer, your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Why then his recommendation that we pray for anything? The answer is that we should offer ourselves up in acceptance of his abundance. Don't pester God as though pulling constantly on his sleeve to get his attention. Approach him with the confidence of a child in its parent. And in that spirit then, ask him lovingly, but with complete trust, as though demanding your birthright, and without the slightest doubt in your mind that he wants only your best. For you don't have to persuade him the way a beggar or a stranger might. You are his own child. God knows everything already. He knows what is in your heart. It is you who need to clarify your feelings, that you attune yourself to him in turn more clearly. For only by such clarity will you be able to receive perfectly what he gives you. For the same reason, we need to offer ourselves to him, not because he needs anything from us except, as Yogananda said, our love to complete his love for us, but because by self-giving we expand our awareness from its confinement in the little ego outward to infinity. Those who partake of the nectar remaining after a sacrifice, says the Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter, attain to the infinite spirit. That person, however, who makes no sacrifices never truly succeeds in enjoying even the blessings of this material world. How then could he attain happiness in subtler realms? Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh.
It's a joy to be with you today. Um, we're going to start with a Whispers from Eternity, which are Prayer Demands and Poems by Paramahansa Yogananda. Um, they're beautiful, and you can find incredible wisdom in them. And this one is called We Demand of Thee as Thy Children. You can imagine its appropriateness to this topic. Thou art our Father. We are made in thine image. We are thy children. We neither ask nor pray as beggars, but demand of thee as thy children the gifts of wisdom, salvation, health, happiness, and eternal joy. Whether naughty or good, we are still thy children, all of us. Help us to perceive and understand inwardly thy will for us. Teach us the independent use of our human will, since thou gave it to us to use freely, attuned to thy wisdom-guided will. There's the trick. <laughs> My will, thy will. So our um, topic today, why talk to God when he knows everything, and why give to God? when he has everything, is a wonderful one. Um, when I thought on this a little bit, for those of you who don't know me, um, I serve here at Ananda Village, but I also grew up here. And given this topic, I thought for a moment to see what's the first thing that comes. And it was this sparkling memory. Um, as a child, I have a big brother, and so very often we would be walking home from school together, but occasionally I would be by myself. And um, the school here is based on yoga principles, so we were very much in touch with um, you know, inner communion practices in our childhood kind of ways. And so just naturally, what would spring out when walking home alone was a conversation. I would talk to Yogananda, and I would tell him all about my day. And I would envision him up in the clouds above me as I'm walking home from school. Um, I have two little children now here at Ananda Village, and I can tell you that given just a little space and a lot of freedom to explore their own spiritual experiences, really cool things spring out. And that was a really beautiful early understanding of the benefit of having this divine dialogue. But I noticed in thinking about it that who was I talking with? I was talking with Yogananda. And that was who I had already developed somewhat of a relationship with in my understanding of divinity, of God, of the divine. And I wanted to first go there, because if we want to develop an inner dialogue with the divine, it kind of matters individually who it is you're talking to. Because it's, it needs to be that, that thing, that person, that entity, that divine expression that actually lifts your consciousness upward. And when you look at the great teachings of yoga, you realize that, just like the song this morning reiterated, or several of them did, but that God is love, that 
um, in you know, Satchitananda, ever new, ever conscious, ever existing bliss is that consciousness that all of creation comes from and also is beyond creation. But that is such a vast and humongous concept. It's really um, beautiful, but how do you talk to bliss? What does bliss say back? <laughs> it can be hard to develop an intimate dialogue with, um, with bliss. If you can do it, it's not to say you can't, but sometimes we need something a little bit more concrete than that. And even, it's a very difficult path um, only to think of the unmanifested bliss. Also because accidentally we might start to define what it is and what it isn't. And right there, you're falling out of attunement with what that bliss is. So it's good to find channels for that bliss that naturally have a form that you can grasp and develop a relationship with. Um, there's this great story of Lord Krishna, who was a great avatar, great master in India. Um, and he was a child, and he was eating dirt. And his big brother tattled on him. And his mother comes and says, Krishna, open your mouth. This is all very familiar to me right now with two toddlers, except this part. Because <laughs> Krishna opens his mouth, and his mother sees all of the created universe inside. You know, every star, every blade of grass, and she faints <laughs> because it's too much. And there's several, you know, illustrations in this, I think, that you could draw. But one of them is that um, understanding the cosmic vastness of divinity can be overwhelming. And that it's good to find channels that are um, embodying that perfect bliss in action in our lives so that we can relate to it. So that's the guru for many of us. That's the great saints. Paramahansa Yogananda's opening prayer, which we did here together, calls on God the Father, the Divine Mother, each and every one of these great yoga masters, and then all the saints, all in one prayer. And I have to say that that is a very powerful practice because you're, you're calling all the soldiers <laughs> together, and then you're going to have a conversation with them. So you're not going to put forward the little bitty things, generally, when you've called on all the great saints of creation. You're probably going to put forward the things that really matter most to you. And that's, of course, in this reading, the reminder that the, the divine dialogue is for your own benefit. The divine knows everything, of course, but you don't. You have these swirling thoughts going crazy in your mind, the monkey mind. And just the act of talking requires you to marshal all those wild thoughts into sentences. And when you direct those sentences to a higher consciousness, you're offering them, imbuing them with you know, divine consciousness. And drawing your own energy up. And of course, in doing that, the uh, seat of wisdom, the spiritual eye, where you're aiming the conversation, uh, that's where superconsciousness lies. That's where your executive function lies. And that's where the solutions lie. So naturally, 
in your converse divine dialogue, when we do that, when we lift up our joys, our sorrows, our challenges, our biggest desires, whatever they are, and we direct them upward in our consciousness, and then we listen, the answers come. And they come, listening is meditation, prayer is talking, you know, generally speaking. But they also come in every moment of your life. When you with, put all that energy into that prayer demand or into that divine conversation, you're going to begin to see, as long as you're open and listening, you're going to begin to see the answers in, throughout your day, throughout your life. Um, the power of words. I wanted to share a funny story because Ananta's here with me. And having grown up here, I have some fond memories of these two lovely beings next to me. And this one I just cherish because it taught me at an early age the power of words. So our family was together with uh, Ananta and Maria on the coast in a beautiful area called Inverness on vacation. And I could not have been more than eight. I was little. And I don't know if you noticed, but Ananta is not little. <laughs> He's tall and broad. And when you're about that big, you really notice that. So he's got a certain natural power in his position. And we were getting ready for bed. And you know, mom and dad saying to me and my brother, say goodnight to Ananta and Maria. And we were saying goodnight. And Ananta looks at me and his funny, you know, he laughs a lot. <laughs> Gita, I want you to dream about pink bunnies. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. I got in that sleeping bag on that couch that night, and I dreamt all night about pink bunnies. <laughs> Hopping through the grass and playing in the fields, and I woke up, and I knew it. Nanda, I dreamt about pink bunnies. <laughs> there is power in words. <laughs> and you can use it for better purposes than dreams, but that's nice. But the point being, of course, that you can experiment with this. But your prayer, your inner dialogue with the divine, the more will, some of us, it comes naturally. Um, some of us have to put a lot of force to, until we develop that willpower in our, in our words. But it has power. And it can draw whatever it is that you want. Um, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> because it's not always what is best for you. And there's a ton of you know, spiritual teachings there about the laws of magnetism and how to draw prosperity and all the things that you want in this world. And in fact, you can go down that road, but you're going to eventually find that those things become heavy. You know, Yogananda taught simple living together with high thinking, with wisdom, brings joy. Because those desires get heavier and heavier, like your home getting more and more full of stuff. And then you have to move, like we did last month. <laughs> and you clean it out, and you realize, wow, I didn't need that. I didn't need that. So, you know, you, you discover those lessons along the way, but knowing that there is power in that divine demand is the first step. 
and then learning to attune that will and simplify what you're asking for. And that's, you know, the Lord's Prayer is so simple. This daily bread, you know, it, the point is that just my needs are met. And that it's just keep me in tune. Just give me what I need and nothing more. Because anything more becomes heavy. And I give it back to you. That's the beauty of that prayer. And that's what you discover. First, maybe you discover the power, and then you discover the pain that comes with the power if you misuse it. And eventually, you simplify. I love um, Sister Gyanamata Paramahansa Yogananda's, one of his very high disciples. Her prayer became, change no circumstance in my life. Change me. And I use that sometimes when I'm all mixed up because it is so clarifying that that's, that's really what this is about. Um, let's see. Oh, I was reading in preparation for this um, Frank Laubach. I don't know if, uh, how many of you have heard of him. He was a great Christian mystic at the turn of the 20th century. And he is known for sharing what, it was, what it's like to practice connecting and, and developing this divine dialogue, first in little steps and eventually, you know, in his writings he said, at first every 30 minutes I wanted to think on God, and then every 15 minutes, and then every 15 seconds. And he shared his experience, and I could just sit here and read them to you, and I think that would be ultimately inspiring for why you would want to develop this divine dialogue. But in you should do that on your own. But in essence, you know, it was that deep reverence, that beautiful attunement to the divine, the harmony that he began to notice in every aspect of his life. The more that he had that inner dialogue, the less he had to worry about the little things in life, the things that he needed, or the things, you know, would this go all right, or how would this person receive this? It was the more that could be done in connection with the divine, the more he focused on that, the less all of those small things mattered. I think we can probably, if we've developed any divine dialogue, pull from our own lives experiences like that, where you just, a lot of conflict is, just resolves itself if we can be in tune through our inner conversation, both talking and listening to that divine within, without. Um, as a disciple myself of Yogananda, one of the joys is that we have a whole bunch of gurus here, right? And they each represent different um, different qualities, different divine qualities. So I find myself praying to different ones depending on what I need to tune into. And you can, you know, you'll experiment with your own experiences. I wanted to, um, Lahiri Mahashai, for instance, was an accountant. So if I'm having technical difficulties in my finances, I might pray to him. <laughs> and you can see that uh, the, in India, the culture of many, the pantheon of gods, are utilized in this way quite often. And it's, it, there's a joy in it. I find it really sweet and very fun that um, uh, there's just many ways to connect with that divinity. And you find the ones that work for you. 
and then you go there. And the important thing is that it lifts your vibrate your energy, your consciousness up. That's really the key. Um, because if you try to pray to a table, it's probably not going to have the same result, even though it's also made from God. Um, it's not such a pure expression of bliss as, you know, Christ, perhaps. So just a tip. <laughs> so then why give to God? Along the very, very same lines, you know, if you're talking with God constantly, you're going to be sharing the things that you need, that you want, that you're concerned about, that you're grateful for. And then those things come that you realize, that moment comes when you realize that a lot of the fears and a lot of the challenges have to do with attachments. And, um, Giving back to God is a beautiful practice to develop freedom, generosity, all of these quali divine qualities that we really want if we really want joy. Um, so I was, let's see, sorry. Oh, acceptance and non-attachment. That was part of the reading here. So on a, when we give to God, there's not a person that necessarily we're giving to, although you could say giving to everyone could be giving to God or giving to no one could be giving to God, right? Because God is everyone. It has to do with this internal um, intention. And it's, it's a beautiful practice when you receive anything to try to lift it upward and to give it back. Because as the reading mentions, it's this beautiful circle. God gives us his love. And all that he's missing is us returning it back. Well, it's true of everything in our lives. And the more that we can do that, the more abundance flows, the more joy flows, and the more, the less attachment to those things that we are receiving um, we will have. I had this very visceral experience of this a few months ago. I was sitting down to meditate, and I was overcome with fear and anxiety out of absolutely, I have no idea where it came from, but it was this recurring thought, your, it's a horrible thought, your family could die. I don't know if you've ever felt this way when you have a deep attachment to something, but it was like, it was so strong that I felt like I could just fall to the ground and cry. But fortunately, I was about to sit down to meditate, so I was in a good position to do something about it. <laughs> but I sat down and made a choice not to be a puddle of tears, not to try to beat the thought out with a stick, because that's impossible. It just comes back stronger. And instead, all those feelings were in the heart, just extreme pain in the heart. And I did all that I could, marshaled all of my energy to lift that up and to give it to God and to say, These, this family is yours. I am yours. And just instantaneously, when I was able to actually move that anxiety upward, calmness, total surrender total release. And it was such a deep experience that I feel like I can go back to that <laughs> whenever that anxiety comes, because the things that we love most, man, we get natural attachments to. 
And it might be less extreme as our family. It might be our car just got mangled, or our house didn't work out, or you know, whatever it is. But any of these things, when, when that anxiety happens, if we can give it up, offer it, then we get we're freedom. We are released from it. And it doesn't mean that anything has to change outwardly. My family's great, <laughs> but my heart's attachment felt very released, and I was able to say, you're gods. How freeing. You're in the best hands possible. Nobody can do a better job. I am free. So it's a beautiful practice to give little and big, little by little, more and more, and talk inwardly to God as much as you can and listen. And the more and more we do that, the more our lives become like in the flowing river, moving where it needs to go without all the stress of trying to go upstream or take a bypath or go, you know, just all this stress that happens when we try to fight the current and all the beauty that happens when we release into it. We can go really far if we want to release. I'm going to end with my favorite Swami Kriyananda quote. Um, he was, of course, the founder of Ananda and a direct disciple of Yogananda. I live by this right now. Um, he said, do those things that will make you happy. Do those things that will make you more loving. Develop those attitudes that will lead you to bliss. Oh.